Hello and welcome to our final um, executive learning series of the year of 2019. Thank you so much for being here. Um, my name is Liz McCleary with CBRE. I am the chairman of the board for the next three months. Um, and I wanted to welcome you all and thank you so much for the a, a wonderful year here at Cornette Chicago. Um, especially want to thank our diamond, platinum, gold, silver end user and premier end user sponsors. We couldn't do this without you. Um, so thank you. We are in the middle of finalizing our sponsorship drive. So if you have not, if your company has not either renewed your sponsorship or hopefully elevated your sponsorship a little bit for 2020, please reach out to one of us or Beth um, at the front desk can help you as well. Um, to those that have renewed, thank you so much. And those that have continued to up their um, sponsorship within Cornet, thank you. Uh, we also really appreciate everybody that showed up to our holiday soiree and membership appreciation event on Tuesday. So it's a big Cornet week. Um, I hope you all had a lot of fun. We had a wonderful time and we also had a wonderful toy drive. So thank you. Um, Chris Cole's actually going to be delivering the gifts to the Sue Duncan Children's Center tomorrow. Um, so if you did not have a chance to donate uh, money or a gift, Beth is still taking donations or gifts if you'd like to bring something for the kids down there. This, for some of them, this is the only gift that they get. So it's a really big deal. Um, in addition to that, we had our real awards, our big awards ceremony on November 20th, and we set a lot of records here in Chicago. We had a record attendance this year, which is very exciting. We also had a record number of nominations. Um, the judges were so impressed by all the work that we're doing in Chicago, so thank you, and we're hoping next year will be even better. Um, in addition to sponsorship, we have membership. Uh, our membership drive is also currently going on. So if you have not renewed your membership, please do so. Uh, if you are 35 turning 36, which means, or yeah, if you're in the 36 year old category now, which means you're out of young leaders, uh, Cornet Global is doing something very exciting to make sure that you're not getting hit hard with a new membership, only if you're already a member. So um, if you are in that category and want more information, please reach out to either anyone on the board or our membership committee for more information. Next event, uh, January 21st, we have our meet and greet at the High Line. That's with the board and the Young Leaders Committee puts that on. It's a really fun networking event where the board comes and you're able to meet, ask questions, and just network and have a great time. In addition, our economic forecast this year is taking place on January 30th. So that'll be our first executive learning series of the entire year. Um, Spencer Levy with CBRE is going to be speaking. He's incredible. So if you have not heard him, please, please plan to come. It's, it's a, going to be a wonderful event. That will be a luncheon at Maggiano's. Okay. So you don't want to hear from me anymore. So thank you so much for being here. And with that, mm -hmm. I will turn it over to Steve. That's perfect. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Welcome. Happy holidays. I mean, what's the vibe? I don't, I, it's, it's late in the afternoon. You guys are drinking, I'm not. Um, I'm Stacy Scapano. I'm Chief Technology Officer here at Skender. It's an absolute pleasure to host you guys and welcome you to our space. Uh, it's, it's a fun space. If you're here roughly about 12 hours ago, and I literally mean 12 hours ago, 5-ish, 6 a.m., 
the, the space converts into about three different high dollar construction trailers and we're doing trade kickoff meetings in these very seats that you're doing, doing OAC meetings throughout the day, teams are war rooming projects, these things are constantly transforming throughout the day so it's always fun to see an event camp out where we were just going to town on trade coordination just earlier in the morning. Um, this topic, uh, I mean, I imagine there's a, an enormous distribution of awareness, excitement, interest from blase to hype to skepticism to fanaticism. Um, so I, I think it's a, 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 an audacious topic to begin the holidays, wind down the year, wind down the decade. Come on, guys. This is this. I mean, really. Um, so I have, I think, kind of really two-ish, three-ish jobs for the next hour. Um, one is to make sure that it's an hour so I can reconnect you with that bar. Um, two, I'm going to kind of be true to scope. Uh, and really what we promised you is two primary questions to address. We've assembled a panel for the first one, so I've kind of taken like true contractor, de-risked myself on this one. We've got a, a great panel that is implementing both virtual reality and augmented reality in the space. Assembled a great cross-section here, so I'm not even going to touch that one. I'm gonna challenge you guys. My other job is to connect this microphone with you because you're going to be answering, uh, asking the questions. So go ahead and start anchoring them now. Um, we will try to rattle through four brief presentations to turn it over for the engagement portion, which I, I, I hope is, um, that's my challenge to you. I mean, that's what's gonna make it worthy for you and us. Um, so the one that I'm gonna swing at is, is it a fad um, or is it here to stay? So if I think about fad, the presumption is it's a flash in the pan. There's a semblance of time to the question. Is this, is this gone tomorrow? Um, so I'm just curious, show of hands, when did virtual reality, the, the notion of augmented reality, when do you think it was invented? 20 years ago? 30. Anybody think it's older than a 30-year-old concept? So 30, we're talking 1990. Give me a date. When do you think? Just let's, let's hear it. 60. Anybody earlier than 60? You think? Put a number on it. How's 1933? Um, so this is a free ebook because copyrights are gone now on the Pygmalion spectacles. 1933, the whole concept around Pygmalion spectacles was a wizard-like inventor created the ability for you to experience a story in your head. Um, you get to be immersed with this story. And so this whole novel was around this wizard, which I thought was fascinating. And I, I wanna anchor on the concept of story because technically, if you ask a lot of professionals looking at what we all collectively do, we sell stories, get people to buy in them, and then try to make them reality in this industry. Um, if you really wanna belabor the first machine, so you're looking at 1955, you're talking about a gentleman, a German by the name of Helig, who talked about the future of cinema, wrote it up in a paper, sent it to the US Patent Office in 1962, um, and the Sensorama was born. First virtual reality device. Um, if you fast forward to our awesome decade that we're winding down, um, I'm hoping people start smirking, because as soon as Google launched the glass in April, Urban Dictionary launched the term glass hole um, <laughs> 60 days later. Um, please, please Google that. Um, but 
if, if you zoom out, uh, I was a former strategist for Autodesk. I have to constantly look at fads versus trends versus investment opportunities. Um, and in, in that space, there's a really great concept of the adoption curve around technologies. This is Jeffrey Moore talking about transistors. You know, when do they go? And there's these different stages. So the lunatic fringe, that's of course they're going to be doing R&D. These are those early adopters, these, the, the innovators, and they transition to an early adopter phase. And I'm going to effectively ask you guys a Q&A at the end of all of this of point on the map where you think we are and where we are but we started at 1933 with this conversation. Um, if you continue to rock through Glasshole, uh, circa 2013, roughly about a year before that, you begin to see a wave of $2 billion worth of investments from venture capital. I've pinpointed about $20 billion worth of investments from Facebook and Google that does not put a penny towards the 1,000-person workforce at Apple presently throwing VR and AR capabilities in your pocket right now. Um, if you look at really between, there's 2,000 people between Apple and Facebook alone. Um, and then if you take one investment in 2016 for one company, Magic Leap, which I'll talk about kind of the more advanced augmented reality devices, now spatial computing, we'll try to walk through that a little bit. That's an $800 million investment um, once, and that was a Series C. Uh, and I think the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is keeping that going right now. Um, for this space, if I talk about virtual reality, I do want to nerd out a little bit so that you can understand them better. Um, so that's maybe a service I'm going to provide on. Is it a fad? Is it not? And you can begin to see the component pieces that are making this accelerating, which is making this part of your holiday cocktail hour right now and not just some Wired Magazine article. Um, so if you, this, this should be very obvious. If you have a five-year-old nephew, a teenager, the gamer, that's, that's part of the question. Is this for gaming or is this a game changer? You realize there's a lot of the entertainment space on the right side of this graph um, kind of charting and driving the hardware side of the equation. The goofy goggles. I mean, let's get around it. It's, it's very hard not to make fun of people in goofy goggles. That's why Glasshole came out. I'm, I'm talking about mobile devices supporting this. There's a magic window concept, and you're augmenting. I'll talk about that. On the left side, this is the maturation of about 20, arguably 25 years of BIM. Um, so we've digitized the content. We've made it 3D ready. We've graphics it. Um, where the conversation falls off a lot but is a critical component that a lot of people just don't realize is there is the whole notion of real-time engines. They convert from a BIM specialist operator at a design firm um, or maybe a VDC specialist, you know, a small percentage of the industry as far as headcount, to something that can actually render in real time on your face super quickly. What does this mean, Stacy? Uh, you're starting to lose me. Maybe it's the alcohol. Um, so let me tell you about what real-time rendering means. In the course of my professional career, I watched Toy Story come online. There's a great Wired magazine that I, article that I'd say, research the, the Toy Story original making of by Wired magazine, December 1995. Huge article about the future of rendering. It, or 300 server render farms, state-of-the-art technology by what ultimately would become Pixar, roughly taking about two to 15 hours per frame in that movie to render. Think about that. So on average, 1 24th of a second in 1995 cost you eight and a half hours. 
If you fast forward and rock through the math, it's an 81 minute long movie. That is a 991 hour computing exercise to give you Toy Story. If you think about that, that is a century plus. It's closer to 120 years of computing to give you one project. Um, the reason why I'm belaboring it is this is real time. I have an infinite number of renders that I may ask by turning my head or moving my hands now. This is real time. I cannot do that in Revit. I was a former Autodesk employee, so you guys can definitely appreciate that comment. I need it fast. I need it nimble. I have no idea what you want to look at. And heaven forbid the infinite complexity if I added a second person with infinite possibility in the same space. So that's why we needed this middleware application. And so I think what you're going to see from this group is if you get from virtual reality immersion in your own head to multiple people augmenting a space, the acceleration of the parts and pieces, the frictionless of the process is rapidly accelerating. I don't think it's a fad. I'm loving the debate that it's possible. Here at Skender, this is my little 60 second plug. It's, it's awesome little company. I think you've figured that out by now. It's got a great energy for a 64 year old builder. We've worked with a lot of you. The market response to the provocation that we've got to the fact that behind that wall is a full-fledged design studio, integrated architecture practice. And if you made your way out to Midway Airport, we've got a fully functioning factory that is 95% complete on day five of production, shrink wrapping, a, a relatively complete structure to click into place. That provocation has just really shocked the market. Um, when we are dealing with our clients and our developers, our biggest challenge is we promise that's not a trailer park that's coming out of the line. Uh, and how do we do that? Augmented reality has kind of risen to the occasion to answer that for us. Our mock-up is that prototype in the top left corner. We want to be able to take that skin, we want to take that finish package, and just let you Pygmalion spectacle yourself on your options so that we're not a trailer park. Um, We've got a lot of press, so Magic Leap that got the $800 million injection basically has been co-developing our client experience with us. This is no longer a screen really close to your face. It's bending light in real time to use the screen that the gods have given you, which is pixel by pixel on your retina. Um, so the guy that's in the white hard hat has got x-ray goggles right now. My blinds are closed. Um, We've fully loaded the information that we could bring with a BIM. This is a prototype that literally is four weeks old. Um, he is projecting from his head to space back down via our Wi-Fi onto my iPad so you can see what he sees. And it's a hell of a lot better than all of that delay. Um, and so you can see it. What we've tried to do with the clients is give them a semblance of what the street view of their project would look like if we took on an infill three flat with them. We want to give you the other two stories. We want you to go inside and understand pricing related to your finish package. I mean, this is a huge, huge lift, but luckily this panel has been driving these use cases for you and a shite ton of dollar for that five-year-old nephew of yours is actually making it possible and subsidizing the experience. Um, so you probably know where I sit with this question. Um, I genuinely would answer it with, you're probably in a chasm at some point. Market sees it, knows it, gets uncomfortable, squirmy, early uh, adopters, the innovators have already proven it, but there's a bunch of capital being deployed because they see the, the 
the 72% or the, the, the you know, 60, I can't do my math, 68% of the middle right there as market potential. That's why there's a thousand person army at Apple right now. You're gonna get it whether or not you like it or not. Um, so with that, I'd love to kick it over to our panel. Um, we've got this wonderful cross section um, to keep us on time. I'll let them introduce themselves. Uh, I'll, I'll hand you the power of the, the clicker and uh, we'll hear from Miranda. Awesome, hello everyone. My name is Miranda Thomaston. I work as an applications designer for Interiors for Business, which is a contract furniture dealership. Um, more recently, I've stepped into the role as team lead for our VR client experience. So our VR focus is tying together interior finishes, interior architecture, as well as furniture details, um, and creating one visualization package. So I wanted to start off my portion of the presentation talking about visual progression, what we've seen happen the last couple years, especially within furniture, um, and how as technologies developed, our needs for what we're providing clients has also been in higher demand. So as you can see in number one, it kind of starts off with this idea of a black and white isometric drawing. The focus on giving the client a very general and basic visualization of what their furniture is going to look like and focusing majority of the um, visual on scale. How do the pieces correspond to each other? How do they correlate, et cetera? Moving into the next stage is really focusing on more of the materiality what finishes are available, what they look like when you apply them to the furniture, and how does that all come together. Lastly, the idea of a perspective. Now taking what you've already been focusing on and enhancing it to the next level, focusing on not only the furniture and the materiality, but what else is going on in the space. What does the flooring look like in correlation? The ceiling details, the accessories in the space, and what else can we be doing to enhance it and make it exactly what the customer and client is looking for. Moving into the next step is how we've progressed into VR. The step before VR that we were seeing was creating a movie pan through a space. This allows the client to look at the space as a whole and be able to walk through it as if they would once it's done post-install. Where we're seeing VR taking the next step into the next field is giving the choice and control back to the customer and the other partners that we're working with. Having the ability to pan through the space as they wish, focus on the specific details that they find most interesting, and being able to talk through something and not have to pause it like in the videos. Where we're seeing virtual reality used right now. Starting off, um, clients that are not local. Um, obviously, it's definitely a challenge to be able to communicate with someone when you don't have that face-to-face -face time. Um, so being able to give them a clear identification of what's important and what they really need to be focusing on and what the entire space looks like, but not being able to have all the time in the world to meet with them and talk through it all with them. Secondly is RFP submittals being able to take what we do currently with callouts and creating it to the next level with how we're responding. Third, as you can see, I'm sure through everyone today, it's a great presentation tool. And it's not only a presentation tool for us, 
but also providing that to the customers as well as industry partners like A&D, real estate, et cetera. It allows them to be able to present on something and be clear and concise on what it'll look like. Next is large floor plans. Something to take into, my, into consideration is right now when you're doing a still rendering, it could take up to you know, five to seven renders that are still to communicate what the space is gonna look like. If you can do one or two VR full circle panorams, that's less time being used towards communicating what the space is gonna look like. And then lastly, um, high profile clients. Everyone wants to wow those certain customers and being able to do that utilizing VR. So the next thing I wanted to go into is what our capabilities are as far as annotation and what we can do with our VR software. Um, so you can see this is a short video, but having the ability to do text annotations, image annotations, as well as audio annotations. So you can see as we pan through, we started off with showing an image that isn't clearly shown um, by the panoram, but not needing to, to do an additional view to communicate that. Being able to give a floor plan for reference on where you're looking and where other scenes are within this space for you to move to. And easily being able to communicate where those are and where your starting point was and where you're going to. And the last thing that I just wanted to talk about is where we're seeing equipment being utilized right now. Ultimately, how we're using it in the furniture aspect right now is there's two different experiences. One is more of your 360 panoram. This is more so used on devices such as phones and computers. It allows um, the individual to pan through the space as we previously just saw in front of them and just look through it generally, but having it on your device obviously makes it super accessible and super easy to transport wherever and bring it up wherever you need to. The second experience is more of your in-depth experience. That's using glasses or goggles. There's benefits to both. Um, glasses are obviously cheaper and um, easily able to be carried around and take to meetings with you. Um, if you have a customer that you use on a normal basis VR capabilities with, it could be great for them to have glasses on them as well so that they're able to easily look at whatever you're communicating with them. And then more in-depthly, the goggles. This really creates the full immerse VR experience for someone. There's no background of what's going on otherwise. You're fully into it. The only thing that I do want to state is we have seen some challenges when it comes to the goggles. Um, the goggles come with head straps. And what we've seen people um, kind of feel a little bit uncomfortable, especially if you're not normally doing something like VR. When you have the head strap on, A, you don't really know what to do with your hands, so you're kind of just standing there. Um, and B, we find that clients are a lot more comfortable when you take the head strap off and actually hold the goggles. That way you feel like you're a little bit more in control, you feel a little bit less awkward about it. And one of our highest concerns is um, people actually get a little bit motion sickness. Um, so that makes them feel more comfortable with it. And if certain individuals are very motion sickness, that's when we recommend maybe sitting in a chair, spinning around rather than turning, um, but still being able to look up, down, side to side. And then um, one of the last challenges that we've ran into 
is the idea of efficiency. Everyone wants to figure out what the best solution is to be the most efficient as possible. And through this process where we've seen we've gained efficiencies and where we see that there still definitely needs to be some development uh, as far as when we're proposing it and when it's best utilized. All right. Thank you, Miranda, that was awesome. Um, I'm Megan Conrad. I'm the Senior uh, Director of Virtual Construction at Ryan Companies. I've been with Ryan for about five years, and um, how many of you have heard of Ryan Companies? Because some people haven't, oh, okay, quite a few. So we're headquartered in Minneapolis. Um, this is a little slide about us, which is kind of outdated because we're growing like crazy. Um, so we have about 1,400 employees, um, and we're about a $2 billion company now, um, founded in 1938, and we're actually a real estate firm who's also very well known for construction, but we're a real estate company. So <clears throat> I'll dive right into our team really quick. Um, we only have a team of four people who are dedicated to our VR experiences. We have a VDC team of about 16, 17 people. Four of those are dedicated to VR. And we've been working with VR for about four years, which is really when things started kind of emerging and you started seeing it a lot at AU, for instance. Um, and this team works with Unreal and Unity, which are both uh, real-time game engine platforms, as well as Autodesk's Maya and 3DS Max. Those are used mainly for those static 360 panorama images that Miranda was talking about, really high-quality visuals. So some of the key focuses for VR at Ryan Companies specifically have been around design decisions and design discussions. Um, sales and leasing is a really big one that has exploded. Um, just supporting the client vision and getting them to understand what their project is gonna look like. And then our internal training. So I'm gonna go through these in some examples. Um, our first example, this is just kind of a pretty picture, no video on this one, but this is our headquarters in Minneapolis. Um, this is the um, Millwright building in downtown Minneapolis, and we modeled our entire office space in Unreal Engine. So somebody could put on the headset and have the little um, controllers on their hands and go and pick up a hard hat from the desk and throw it across the room. Very interactive, but it did help our internal architecture group really visualize what they're designing. They made some changes. Actually, the, the chandelier in the middle there that looks like a tower crane chandelier, they ended up not liking that, so we got that removed. Um, so enabling those design decisions in VR is a huge benefit. Another one, you can see this is a video playing, is we did a, a Beverly Hills Surgical Center that kind of got cut off. Um, and this was creating um, design schemes for them to compare and contrast side by side so we could toggle between the two schemes for them to decide which one they ended up liking. All right. Um, last example for design decisions would uh, be this Summit Orthopedic Surgery Center that you see on the screen. This is very detailed. We modeled everything exactly how it would be shown, and we had those surgeons in VR looking at the space and making sure this was exactly what they were okay with. Um, they ended up giving a thumbs up, but having that end user feedback is really important, and it also really gets the client involved and, and excited about their project. 
All right, sales and leasing. So this example is um, a senior living project called Friendship Village. And what you see here is um, the video is showing the game engine work that we developed in Unreal where the client can actually toggle their materials, which is really great. Normally senior living, um, they might not be able to choose their own materials, but this one is different and they can. So this is currently under construction and we are actually um, building out the leasing center right now. It should be finished in about a week. And on the right there, you see two static images, but this is actually just screenshots taken from a panoramic 360 image. We modeled their leasing center exactly how they wanted to build it, but they wanted to visualize this leasing center because it is expensive to build. And the bottom right image is actually um, a curved screen. It's shown as kind of uh, square, but it will be a curved screen that will show um, VR and 360 images and animations on the screen so people can walk up to the screen and feel immersed without having to mess with goggles. Sometimes it, as Miranda mentioned, it is a little bit tricky with the goggles and I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, this next one I'm particularly proud of because we just finished it. This was an experimentation um, using the Unity engine to build VR for mobile. And one of the things I'll talk a little bit about um, in a couple of minutes here is how crucial it is to make VR available quick and easy to the masses. How many of you have a phone on you right now? Okay, how many of you have VR goggles on you right now? Okay, <laughs> proves my point, right? Okay, so, so we see a really big push in moving to the mobile platforms or cloud platforms just because that's the world we live in today, right? We can get that easy access to everyone. So this was um, a multifamily project in St. Paul, currently under construction, and the, the potential um, residents are able to click an app and open and explore that space on their phones. Um, this one is the 11, which is a condominium project, 42 stories in downtown Minneapolis. Um, again, very similar to the Friendship Village example where people can toggle their finishes. Again, they can customize this. This is their condo. Um, so this is, again, it's under construction. This actually just broke ground. Um, the top two images are just screen grabs from our, our real-time engine that we built. Um, the bottom left image is actually the physical sales center mock-up. Um, we did the VR about five months before the actual sales center mock-up was created. So they were able to you know, see what looks good, how do we want to stage it, how do we want to present this, and then they actually built this mock-up which took about half a million dollars to build that sales center. All right, last I'm gonna to touch on client vision a little bit. So this is our Oracle project in Austin, Texas was finished a couple of years ago, and this was our first big deal VR project. Um, we did their break room, their lobby, the Starbucks in the lower left corner, um, their elevator, cafeteria, everything. We did a bunch of spaces for them, and we actually took it to the, the Willis Tower here and had a bunch of stakeholders come in and try the goggles on, look at the spaces really get excited about it. There were definitely some design decisions that were made um, based on this uh, virtual reality experience. And now we're able to actually draw out cinematic footage from the virtual reality, um, kind of the, the VR engine. So even though nobody's kind of going in there and trying on the, the goggles, we can still make 
um, kind of emotional pieces about the building, which is kind of in the upper right corner. It's, you can see it's just a chair, but we've really created a marketing piece for them that they were able to use just before the building opened. Um, this one is an example of a building that we actually manage in downtown Des Moines. It's called Capitol Square. Um, but when you have an empty space and it doesn't look the best and you want to entice tenants to come in, how are you getting them excited about the vision, right? So we had a space just like this um, and we actually partnered with CBRE on this and developed a space plan and a design and a, a focused kind of the, the color elements on some particular um, clients that we want to draw in and this was presented to the tenant. I don't know what the response is yet, but this is just fresh off the press. Um, so this is, again, a great tool that can be used to help sell that vision and get your uh, tenants in the space and secure that lease. Lastly, um, training. So this is more internal. Again, this is something that we're currently working on, but um, we are developing uh, virtual reality experiences for our field teams. This is gonna cover a myriad of different um, training aspects that they need to go through from putting on PPE when they get to the job site to you know, verifying that there are protective barriers up, where can they walk, um, blind spots around equipment, whatever it might be. So this is something that we're working on, um, but it's probably going to be delivered on a computer format. Um, getting it out to the masses, again, is really important. So let's say you want to deploy this to the entire company, to every job site. You can't really equip every person with their, their own headset. So doing it on the computer is probably the way to go. So challenges and outlook. Not everyone loves the headset. I was kind of smirking as Miranda was mentioning this because we see this all the time. Um, you know, the headset, I kind of wonder if it is a fad. You know, it's been around for a long time, right? Um, but being able to pass off something that, the kind of to so the second point, that is quick, easy, and mobile gets it to everyone, right? And that's, that's how we get quick adoption, we get people excited. Um, it's less expensive, right, ultimately, when we're talking about hardware. Um, so that's where we see kind of things going and the development side of that. To the third point, web-hosted VR for sales and leasing. So in my wish list box, I want to be able to send a link to any client and have them go into a, a virtual reality game engine space on the web and have their own private experience, right? Um, we're finding that very difficult right now just because the technology hasn't quite caught up. Um, so right now, if, if I were to host it, I would send a link to Anton and Anton would go in there and play around and if I sent it to Stacy and he logs in at the same time, he's along for the ride. Anton's driving the bus. Um, I don't want that, right? You can, you can do that today. <laughs> so, um, so that's ultimately where, where I would like to take things and I think we'll get there. The technology's just, just on the cusp of, of developing this. Um, and then I wanted to touch really quickly about AR at Ryan, because this is, it's an AR, VR discussion, right? We just haven't seen the demand for, for AR in, in a real estate capacity. Um, for construction, definitely. And I mean, I, I shop at Wayfair, I shop at Target, and I do the, the AR with the furniture in my home. There's absolutely a need for it. 
Um, we just haven't quite found the sweet spot at Ryan companies. So I haven't really covered anything on it today, but that's kind of the gist on that. All right. Thanks, Megan. Actually, um, before I start, one of the coolest things when Megan showed the Ryan Office VR as actually I've, I've gone through that VR experience before I even went to their office in Minneapolis. And when I, it was really cool because I really played around with that VR experience. And when I was in that office in Minneapolis, I knew where everything was. I knew where the bathrooms were. <laughs> I knew where the conference rooms were. It was such a surreal experience. So you think about applicability, like think about um, life safety applications. You can train people and they just, they'll just know where facilities are. It's, it's unreal. So before you get rocking, because I'm going to get out of your way in, in, in a bit, I mean, when I love the fact that you also brought in training. So as builders, we had a pretty shocking uh, training experience in VR where a previous firm that I worked at, the CEO was an, an at-height training uh, program that we developed where you would walk a beam, you know, grab a, a hook off the crane, you know, put it on a lift. He fell over. And he was standing in the office in front of us. And unfortunately, his staff was watching this as well. You know, the, the seasickness is one thing. It's the, the slowness and not the lack of maturity of the, the goggles. But there is also some of this is so visceral. Your brain overrides and makes up for the gaps. And it's telling you you're at height right now. So I think we're all learning as an industry how immersive these experiences really are and how you can use them for your benefit, because we wouldn't certify them to get up on the 32nd floor of that project now. Um, and weeding out people with massive experience but not the capability is a real great option. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up the training. And the familiarity is amazing, it's, whether or not it's, it's crazy, yeah. life safety or whether or not it's a live project. So I'm Anton Nubuncio. Um, I work at Via Technic. We Our focus is around delivering virtual design and construction to design teams uh, owners, general contractors. And what that means is we're trying to help work with our clients to develop things virtually, um, design things virtually, build things virtually, so that the end product is just better. All we want is a better built environment and more efficiently built. Um, so we work with you know, a large cross-section of owners, um, real estate companies, uh, general contractors. And you know, Stacy had a question, is this a fad or not? And, I think the way we see different segments of the market using virtual reality, it's, there's so much value in building things out um, with, with bits and bytes instead of physical, um, physical like cement and things like that, because it's, it's so easy to make changes. It's so easy to understand, is this really what I'm looking for? And it's very cost effective. Uh, and you know, the goal of um, what I'm going to share with you guys today is how people are currently using it and the value that they've gotten out of these various experiences. Um, today in our office, we do a lot of um, when projects are in, under construction, we, there's a process called design, um, MEP coordination. And right now, some of our team members are using VR to work with clients who are not in the same physical location and walk through the space virtually. And we thought it was like going to be, uh, well, let's do this once and never do it again. It's, it's been actually very valuable for the team to be virtually on the same um, virtual site together and talk about things in 
um, 3D and not just going to scroll to this part of the, the building on the screen, but look up, look down, do you feel like you have enough space? So spatially, it's just amazing how, how much value it provides to be exploring a space in one-to-one -one scale. Um, and I'll talk more about scale, how we're, we're finding that in our experience, scale has been one of the biggest factors of this provides so much value because a lot of decisions, um, the right decisions can be made when you have the ability to see things in scale. So this is a project we did um, a few years ago. I, I think you guys might be familiar with this with the site, but it's here in Chicago and it's 60 acres. And they, they got the design team involved. They, um, and they said, like, hey, we're showing this to investors. You have two weeks to create a 60-acre site. And the design's still happening. So you can see that things are very possible in a very short time frame. And the coolest thing that we got out of this was when the designers were on there, in there, in the VR model, they were questioning the, the so they, they used to, they had this cardboard scale model in their office, but then, you know, when they were in VR, it was questioning, hey, is this wide enough? Is this boardwalk wide enough? Do we have enough sunlight coming in? Does this look very um, cavern-like? So it's making those decisions earlier on that was amazing to see. And actually what is interesting here is the, the design team also ended up changing. I, I don't think it was because of the VR, but the discussions that the owner was having around the first experience with the original design was that, hey, this, this doesn't work. If we're in here in the middle and it feels like we're in a cave. Um, and then, so that took two weeks. And then over time, as Stacy was mentioning, these, these real-time engines, they're, they're so powerful now that, you know, this, this other project, um, this is Union Station, same, in two weeks, you can come up with something very, very um, good and very visually. Our goal is to confuse the, our audience and what's real and what's not, right? So if we can do that, then we, we, we've succeeded. Um, and now the tools, are, the tools out there, there's a lot of tools that are automating things and making things a lot easier for people to get things out there. So it's like very, actually, it's, very fast to create uh, some of these experiences. So what I'd like to walk you through now is our, share the workflow, right? Um, unveil the mystery around how we produce these things. And um, I'll, sh I'll share our current, uh, one of our current projects right now is the Virgin Hyperloop. So have you guys heard of um, Virgin Hyperloop? So here's the technology that Elon Musk wrote a white paper about. It's essentially uh, allowing transport pods inside vacuum tubes to um, transport people and products. Um, and so there's this company out in LA, uh, Richard Branson's involved, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia's involved, um, the Dubai ports world's involved. And they, they're trying to revolutionize transportation. The cost to produce this form of transport is so much lower. And the, 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 the speed at which can deliver goods and people is very high. Right now, they're targeting like 400 miles per hour. And so that's like going from Chicago to, I don't know, Indianapolis in 20 minutes or something. 
and the yeah, if you, if you wanted to go there, you. <laughs> but but so the the cool thing about it is like as as the urban centers grow, the problems between um, the problems between you know moving people around just grows, and the the challenge that they that Virgin Hyperloop say is right now, their biggest challenge in the U.S. is there's no regulatory body. So it's not, it can be regulated by the FAA because it's not an airplane, but it's also not a train system, so it can't be regulated by the rail authority, federal rail authority. So virtual reality is helping them understand or helping them portray how this technology that doesn't exist is going to transport people and goods from urban center to urban center. So here's like a 3D model. It's from a BIM model that, we, that was brought into Maya. Um, for most, a lot of you guys, hopefully your projects are BIM right now. So it's taking that and then to create a realistic experience where we're actually getting imagery from the desert. So they built a test track in the desert and they're doing some other things there. But our team is playing around with the materials. So it's actually very, it's not that, um, it doesn't take that long to create very realistic materials. So here's like, um, the soil, and then we're creating tire tracks because there's no road. So as, a, as the construction equipment goes through the soil, we're creating tire tracks in there. And then that allows us to um, create very real, realistic looking ground in the desert. And then foliage. Foliage is also very important. In, in one of our projects, we were actually asked to look at um, the project's going to be built out in 20, 30 years, so the foliage, because of climate change, is going to change. So they were, we were asked to imagine how that foliage was going to change. And foliage is um, very important to make a scene look as real as possible. So you want to you know, play around with that, too. And so here's the, the, the desert that's slowly being built in the real-time game engine. So um, you're, you, you can play around with lighting. You can play around with objects. And then finally creating the tube, the tube system. So you, when the tube, if something doesn't exist, how do you imagine that? And um, thankfully, we, we, we look at, you end up looking at how do people like build tubes today and you know, do they weld things? So we try to incorporate like, hey, let's put weld marks into the, into the tube because it's not just going to be a flat surface. Um, and then the pod, so they, they had a design for a pod. So these pods are supposed to contain, um, so an economy class pod can, I think, contain like 16 people with some luggage. If you want to really squeeze them in like sardines, you can put 24 people in there. Um, and then, you know, show, now we can put, you know, various, um, we can showcase, so this is the pod, and you, you can essentially rewrap those pods. If you have someone from Saudi Arabia coming, you just, you know, we can rewrap it with a Saudi Arabian flag. If you have someone from Dubai ports coming, you can just rewrap things. So it's like costs almost nothing for them to just like say, okay, we're going to show this to um, some of our investors and try to get more money. Um, so here's, here's the final scene we created. And then here's the final scene next to the real scene. So some, it, was, it was actually amazing. The co-founder of uh, Virgin Hyperloop was like, hey, I, I have no idea what's real or what's not anymore. And that's when we said, OK, we, we did a good job, team. 
Um, so here's the final um, video production that um, we created from the VR. So you can actually go in it. You can, um, you can, um, and we, we, they, they gave us their, the acceleration profiles of the pod too, so we can test it. And what's great about it is you can simulate how fast do these things go. And one of the things um, we were wondering is like, if it's as fast as it says it is, would that be harmful, like physically harmful? Because if you think about how fast something goes, can your body handle those forces? Um, but so th that's the cool thing about VR. You can test things out, you can do all these things, and no one dies, and <laughs> right, and there's like no no one's dead, and it's it's um it's. <laughs> And if you want to change things, if you want to change the alignment of the curves, you can do things. And so if you think about your projects, you can, you can try all these crazy things out. Why do you have to limit your creativity? You know, when someone's designing something and they say, let's put the kitchen in the meeting room. Let's try it out, right? It's, there's no harm. So that's sort of where we see the value in VR. And as Stacy mentioned earlier, I think there's a really a lot of value in it and it's, amazing when you put people in it for the first time and you put people in their projects for the first time, they start suddenly give a lot better feedback. And that feedback can be useful for the design team, for ownership, to figure out, is this the right way that I should work with my space? Anton, could you advance the slide uh, one more time? So we, we have about five-ish, 10-ish minutes before you're gonna get cranky and want another beverage. Um, so I, I do want to kind of turn it over to you guys. I mean, I've got a number of questions that I wrote down, but um, I'm wondering what the provocation was, uh, what the skepticism was, what the excitement was. I'd love to hear from you guys. So uh, any, any takers, uh, any, any interested parties with their thoughts? Well, I'd just like to expand on the AR side. It's, you know, so we haven't really gotten into that too much here. I've seen, you know, uh, was out at Oracle's Innovation Center and and she's here, so she can tell us more. But we did see the AR in the construction sense. But how about in the redevelopment of an existing office space where you could walk through the space and see existing, but then overlay um, the design of, of the new space or furnishings or whatever? Uh, have you seen any? Have you tried that yet? How, how effective is that? So. <clears throat> You're mic'd up. Oh, yeah. So at least in my my side, it's very similar to Megan's experience where the, the, the proponents of AR, there's definitely a lot of value in AR. The unfortunate thing is the, the hardware is still pretty clunky. Um, so if you're willing, and not a lot of people are willing, don't have the patience to put up with the clunkiness of the hardware. So that's the unfortunate thing, right? And if, if it, yeah, when, once the hardware changes, yeah, for sure. Um, but I think the hardware is the biggest limiting factor because in terms of value, there's a lot of value. Yeah. And on the furniture end of things, um, what we've seen is that VR is definitely progressing and developing quicker than AR solutions. Certain furniture manufacturers are taking it upon themselves to do a v AR experience with their specific product. But we're, as far as I'm aware of, I'm not seeing a software capability that allows you to take multiple furniture vendors and put it into one communal space and have the augmented reality utilized with that. So hopefully it's something they might look into in the future, but 
I think right now their bigger push is for VR. But if I think a parallel, um, if you think about 2005, 2006, pre-iPhone days, how many people were using Blackberries? It was only like the power users. Otherwise, it was very clunky. And then the iPhone, finally someone came out with something that actually worked and had a good interface. And then, you know, there, they, there was a, definitely a value in a smartphone. But because the interface wasn't there, it was such a limited, limited crowd. Yeah, and so, so much of this conversation gets back to the fad question, right? And that's why, you know, to me, 2013 was yesterday. Um, to me, you can do a lot with $25 billion. And that's why I was trying to be very deliberate. Where I, I knew the clunkiness would come. I mean, some of the stuff is really painful. As if people fall over, they get seasick. However, uh, when you've got a client on the Hyperloop sitting there going, I'm lost. I can't tell you if I'm on the real site or just looking at one of your renderings. There's a gotcha there, and you better take uh, notice. I mean, we'll get back to some of those questions and, and, and kind of some parting comments. But anybody else? Ken? I, th I think one of the things we're hitting here is, you know, we're defining multiple technologies as virtual reality. We're defining multiple technologies as augmented reality. And, you know, and it's based on what somebody's experience. It's like, okay, you know, is grandma's view master virtual reality? Or is a, uh, a HoloLens by Microsoft augmented reality? Is my cell phone augmented reality? Is panoramics virtual reality? Or is Oculus Quest virtual reality? So I think that's kind of a problem right now is because they all have different levels of immersion. And somebody may experience a low level and they keep stepping up and they, it gets better, where they may experience a, a true gaming engine real-time VR and that client like Oracle would say, you know, don't put a Google Cardboard on my head again because that's not virtual reality. And so I think some of the specticism is coming around because people have tried something and it didn't fit. It was, and it's the terminology in this industry right now is kind of all over the, the map. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Uh, yeah, I actually have a quick comment on that. So when I was putting together this presentation, I asked my team, can you give me your you know photos and stills? And I'm gathering content. And I said, I specifically want our best VR. And they're like sending me just game engine stuff and no 360 panoramics. So I would go back to them and say, well, what about this? And what about that? And they said, well, that's not VR. And I said, oh, yes, it is. It absolutely is VR. Um, so to your point, I, I was thinking the same thing. There's no middle ground, and, and the lines are getting very blurred. Um, and it is still a question, you know, as it evolves. I think it's the best level we've experienced is each individual person what you're going to call VR. So you say to somebody, you know, they've gone all the way to that five-year-old kid versus somebody that's like, wow, I, you know, I have a different perspective because of this piece of technology. So it's kind of... That's the hill to get over. Yeah, and technology is just always imperfect in a snapshot in time. I mean, it's the one thing I've definitely learned playing around with a lot of investments in technology. Um, I, I've, in, in, in my experience, I've just constantly tried to step away from it and look at the why. Why would anyone care? What are the use cases? And that's what I genuinely appreciate about the panel 
and pulling it out. The technology is always imperfect. I haven't installed the last version of Windows in this place yet. Um, and I'll do another one next year. And it's just, it's the most basic of technologies right now, how to interact with your hard drive. Um, and now you're talking about some of these bleeding edge investments that are gaining a lot of attention. Um, I think we've got a lot of drivers. Anton, if you, um, I, I, I pose the same question to the gaming engines. Is this a fad? I've got a bunch of real estate folks in here that are gonna be extremely skeptical. Um, you know, is this a game changer? And the product manager for uh, Unreal sent me this video and he's like, everyone in that room's already interacting with augmented realities. You're watching the news. If you watch a football game, there's a yellow ribbon augmenting the field all day long. There's a score augmenting your reality. You watch the elections next year, good luck not seeing augmented realities. You're gonna need it. Um, and, and you're just, it's all over the place. If you're in automobile manufacturing, 99% of every automobile um, commercial these days when you're looking at the car doesn't exist. There's a guy in this, this showreel for uh, Unreal riding a motorcycle through Tokyo and you realize he's just riding by a bunch of, he's not even riding for one thing, and to downtown Tokyo is just a bunch of TVs beside him. Um, so it's, it's, it's funny when you step away, they've alted out to XR at this point in the media world. It's just whatever freaking reality, none of it's real. But the interesting thing from an economics perspective is market expectations driving demand. Um, and I think that's what you guys are actually stumbling on, is that you're gonna figure out how to do it. They're on the farther left of the innovator, early adopter. They don't mind the chasm of clunkiness. Um, but if you look at kind of these other segments that are serving our customers for different reasons, those demands will trickle right back over to our industry. Um, and I think that gives us a good reason to drink away the evening. Uh, Thank you for your time. If you would join me in thanking our panelists as a bunch of... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for Liz or just kick you guys all out. Um, I'm not exactly sure uh, what, I, what's the gracious thing. All right. Again, thank you for joining us. Happy holidays um, and a absolute pleasure having you guys here at Skender. Take care.